Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant Podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, today on the Righteous Remnant Podcast, um, I have a very special guest, Kangmin Lee, who is also known as the Korean Christian Conservative um, on, on many platforms. You can find him at Instagram, at the Kangmin Lee, Twitter, YouTube. Um, Kangmin, um, so glad to have you on the podcast, man. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a couple people actually pointed me at um, your content online. And um, to be honest, I was really encouraged because I don't normally see younger Koreans um, speaking out about the kind of stuff that you do. And I'm here, Mm -hmm. I feel like Southern California is kind of the, you know, it's the Korean capital of America in some ways. Yeah. I, well, I don't know. You're out in the East Coast. Maybe there's a like huge Korean population out there. But in parts of Southern California here, I'm surrounded by Koreans. We have some of the largest Korean churches all in this area in Northern Orange County. Um, and overwhelmingly, it seems like people are more on the left, people who are mm-hmm. your age. And so it's just a huge encouragement to see someone like you speaking out the way that you you are. So I want to start today by just getting some of your story. I'm really curious, like... Tell me about your background. Where did you grow up? I'd love to hear about all of it. Yeah. Um, so actually, I did live out in L.A. for four and a half years. I went to school there. I went to USC. And so, you know, growing up, I was I was very apolitical. Didn't really care about politics. I loved Obama because he was black. And I was like, yay, first black president. Great. Yeah. And then I, I went to college. And, you know, I there there were a few things that I was I never compromised on. It was, it was basically abortion and transgenderism, and um, I, I I like struggled with homosexuality, the idea of it being a sin, but the the just gender ideology and gender dysphoria and just the celebration of it just didn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And I think the Bible was just so unequivocally clear that God made male and female, and there's nothing else besides that. And abortion. I think the Bible was also very, very clear about that. I remember my freshman year of college in my writing class, I wrote a paper why abortion should be illegal. And I got the worst grade <laughs> in that semester on that paper because my uh, professor was a super liberal yeah, woman. But yeah, yeah, I, I just like those two things. I was just like, we're very much like why I don't get why Christians compromise on these issues. But um, on a lot of other issues, like I thought conservatism was terrible. I hated all Republicans. I thought Trump was an um, awful person. I, I hated him with a burning passion. And I thought if, if you're a decent, not only Christians, but if you're a decent moral human being, there's no way you can support Trump. And I also thought socialism was great. I thought communism was morally good mm-hmm. and not anymore, obviously. But yeah, so that's how I lived through college. And so because I was kind of split, I was definitely, I consider myself a moderate when you thought about it politically but i was definitely left-leaning because aside from abortion and transgenderism i agreed with the left on everything yeah uh, I, I remember when ben shapiro came to speak on campus i was like yes when they're protesting i was like yes i was like yes go to protest i was like yeah whatever screw racism and then fall of 2019 my last semester of college i actually stumbled across the video uh, across a video of trump it was probably like on a video from now this or buzzfeed or one of those uh, left-leaning outlets and uh, it was about trump calling mexicans immig- uh, mexican immigrants you know people crossing the border like oh terrible people rapists drug dealers things like that and yeah i thought oh typical trump whatever terrible person and then i saw a comment and said here's the full link to the clip 
watch it and you decide for yourself whether or not he actually called Mexicans these things. And I was like, interesting. I clicked it. It was only a few minutes long. And that those few minutes, even with my bias against Trump, my hatred against Trump, I it would have been completely intellectually dishonest for me to conclude that Trump actually called Mexicans rapists, drug dealers, criminals. And I was like, okay, but he's calling what he was saying is people crossing the border border illegally are these things. And I was like, is it true? And gosh, that story is human trafficking, gang rape, you know, um, uh, just like horrific things, you know, crime coming at MS-13 gang members. Um, it's just, this is horrific. It's absolutely horrific what happens on the border. Literally the drug cartel controls what happens on the border yeah. because it's so not protected. And I was like, wow have I been lied to this whole time? And then I started to get into this spiral of like binging Steven Crowder and Ben Shapiro on YouTube, yeah. uh, Jordan Peterson and yeah. all these things. And just leaders and not only the conservative movement, but just like common sense. It's really just common sense at this point. Yeah. And I was like, wow, you know, I'm conservative. This makes sense because ultimately what it came down to was what aligns with the Bible. I'm not interested in political partisanship. I'm really not. But what aligns with the Bible? What aligns with the word of God? What does God have to say about all these issues? And the Bible, believe it or not, has something to say about economics, about social issues, about gender dysphoria, about abortion, about socialism, communism, all these things that Christians, especially in SoCal, Korean ones are like, oh, you know, I don't know, but I'm just going to align with the left because the left is compassion. It's like, no, they mask their heresies and unbiblical ideologies, their ungodly tenets. They mask that under compassion. And then so many Christians are uh, brainwashed and, um, you know, they are kind of like washed away by the ways of this world. But I was quiet because I was like, okay, if, I'm con if people know I'm conservative, I'm going to be canceled. People are going to hate me. Uh-huh. And then I went to YWAM. Uh, I went to Kona for DTS uh, from in January. And then I got sent home because of COVID. I was like, frick, I didn't get to go on outreach. And then BLM hit. And then when BLM hit, I was like, I already, I already know the truth about police brutality in this country and race relations and the systemic racism that they cry about all the time uh, at that point because I was already red-pilled. Uh, but then every single person that I knew, every single person, all the pastors too, like you talked about SoCal is kind of like the hub of like Korean Americans and especially like Korean American churches, every single one, actually, except for my church pastor in LA, but every single pastor, except for my, my pastor, which just tells me I went to a good church, like was screaming at the top of their lungs, putting videos out, posts out, infographics out about we need to stand with BLM. We this is we can't you know this is injustice. Ah, you know, <laughs> screaming. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. And all my friends, every single one was posting a black square. Every single one was mourning. And for me too, when I first saw the footage of George Floyd, I was mad because I was like, there's no reason why a cop should have his knee on on the neck of a person. But I was, and then, but then they saw that and they extrapolated it and said, oh my gosh, you know, police are hunting down black people in this country. And I have to say something. So I reposted Candace Owens video about George Floyd and police brutality. And then, man, I got, I got hammered. I got slammed every single person. Yeah. And I was involved in KCM. I don't, I'm not sure exactly if you know KCM. Is. Yeah, I, I was KCM. Pres mm -hmm. president of USC KCM and I was very, very involved. So I knew so many people around in Orange County, you know, all the Koreans and 
all of them slammed me every single one tell me i'm a terrible person i wasn't even a christian i should take out christian from my bio i should take out my cover photo with me going to ywam raising money for funds for missions i'm a terrible human being i hate black people all these nasty things and that that's like wow. the moderate stuff like i'm not even gonna get to nasty stuff and Can then I ask were those yeah. people like in your fellowship attacking you or are these yeah. just like people online random people these are like people yeah. you Pe knew in your fellowship people i served with in ministry wow. with yeah and that that just that was just the crazy part for me because you know if the world attacks me i'm like oh whatever right mm -hmm. though jesus promises that um but it was professing christians who i served in ministry with coming mm -hmm. after my throat and t saying these nasty horrific things to me and I was just sitting there. I'm like, okay, you know, if I'm really that wrong, like, tell me, like, tell me why I'm wrong. Stop just throwing these ad hominems at me. Tell me why I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong because before I've had it wrong. So maybe I'm wrong right now. And they say the number one thing they always said, no, you're not worth my time because you're a terrible, intolerant, horrific person. And by the way, tolerance isn't even a biblical virtue, but um, they were just saying all these nasty things. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then that kind of compelled me to make a new Instagram where I was like, okay, I'm going to dedicate this Instagram to, you know, like try to inform, like trying to inform my friends about the truth of what's going on. So I kept it private, but then I felt like God was calling me in October to make it public because I work, I have a full-time job, but I was like, okay, like if I go public, like I have the risk of maybe losing my job, but you know, I, I think standing up for truth right now is so much more important because not it, it it's, we've come to a place in time where everything has po become political. So I need to stand up for this. And then lo and behold, I just, you know, half a year later, I'm here now and yeah. I have a platform and I just keep ranting, I guess. <laughs> so that's kind of like my story and how I got involved in all of this. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's a quick transition because yeah. it wasn't long ago. You you know, you're talking, um, you know, this is like a couple of years ago. You hate Trump and it sounds like you were in the position that I I feel like is the default position for most younger Asian American Christians. When I talk to them, they tend to be pro life. They tend to be, um, you know, they tend to believe in two sexes, um, but they're a little questionable on homosexuality. They're like, well, I know the Bible seems to say that it's wrong, but it, I struggle with that one. And they tend to distrust the president or President Trump, who used to be president. And so that sounds like when I'm listening to you in that place, I'm like, yeah, I can name like so many students who are in that place. Um, but very rarely have I seen that type of transition where, and it's not, and that's a fascinating one because for you, it wasn't somebody had a conversation with you. You saw a news piece and you said, Hey, something seems fishy about this. And you actually investigate it yourself. And then you saw how, ridiculous the manipulation how obvious the manipulation was on that mm -hmm. news piece which made you do a deep dive into it that's fascinating yeah. i i mean i just want to say like good for you man good for you <laughs> that you Thank actually you. investigated I, this yeah i think it's just kind of in my nature though i'm kind of like a skeptic by nature yeah so i hate when anything's sensationalized whether it's from the left or the right you know mm -hmm. and so whenever anything's sensationalized i always take a step back. I'm like, okay, like, what is the truth behind this? And I want to make sure. And even when, you know, I hated Trump, I still had like, I still was annoyed by a lot of those really, um, I guess for the lack of better words, deranged activists who were always just talking about how Trump was Hitler. I was like, okay, Trump's not Hitler. Like he's, <laughs> yeah. he's not Hitler. Like, come on. But 
I did not like Trump because just from all the information that I knew at that point, and I was pretty apolitical, I didn't like him. But then I, I guess that little clip that I watched kind of, I guess, sparked a new interest. I'm like, wait, yeah. have I been lied to? And I, I don't like being lied to. I really don't like being lied to. Yeah. And I hate not knowing the truth and hate being in the dark about certain things and hate being misinformed. So I just, you know, like you said, I did a little investigating and I went down the deep spiral of being red pilled and binge watched a bunch of stuff, read a bunch of stuff. And I realized like, wow, like if you're a Christian today, you have, there's no way you are a conservative. There's no way, there's no way you can be any sort of left leaning because the Overton window has shifted so far to the left today in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. It's totally true. I mean, I'll tell you like around that period, um, you know, when George Floyd hit, I was um, on staff with a, a ministry here in Southern California, and we did like this race panel where we got six pastors together and we talked about it. I was the only conservative on that panel, wow. and um, and I, you know, the spirit of the event was like, "Hey, we're going to come talk about it with unity, right?" That was the heart. We're just going to mm-hmm. be unified, and and I was like, "Yeah, no problem. I love unity. Like unity is one of my passions as a as mm-hmm. a leader in the body," and um. And so we started talking about it, and one of them asked me about white privilege, and I just said, you know, I don't believe in white privilege. I don't think that that is, um, I, you know, I don't, I don't think that's really a thing. And mm-hmm. I didn't elaborate on it. Like, we had a short amount of time. We had six people on this panel. I'm like, for yeah. me to explain white privilege, like, in depth, I'm going to take, like, 15, 20 minutes, right? Yeah. And, um, but, man, the hate I got after that was intense. I After right. that, I had, like, this cancel mob, you know, going after me online. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I had like probably like over I had over 50 people contact our ministry and mm-hmm. specifically, you know, were upset about me and wanting me fired and things like that. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's like this is like, again, it's we're not talking about like unbelievers. We're talking about believers. These are all believers. Yeah, yeah right? exactly. Which is which is amazing that the the dominant culture of our churches and fellowships at mm-hmm. this point is. Like, I, I don't even mind if it's, you know, skeptical about some of the stuff that you and I talk about. But it's not skeptical. It's hostile. Yeah, yeah. Right? And this is such a problem. Like, that we we have we have these cultures now in our churches and fellowships where people won't even investigate the truth. Mm-hmm. It is unbelievable to me. And so yeah. I'm curious. So you're going through this transition. I assume you're trying to tell people around you and, like— I mean, how did those conversations go with like your friends and all of that? Yeah, I mean, like I mentioned, it always got shut down. Every, nearly every single one. I've had a few friends who changed their minds, but overwhelming, overwhelming majority, um, they were like, no, shut up. I don't care. It's, it's like you said, they're not even willing to talk about it. It's completely, they're so dogmatic about it and they're so hostile and in their pride they think they're so right there's no way they could be wrong and it was always hey okay i literally every single time like i i honestly think in my i had the right to like say like hey you're being unfair that's not okay for you to say this about me when you don't even know what you're talking about i think the funniest thing is when christians who can't even name the three branches of government lecture me about what how how ignorant I am about politics and culture. It's just the funniest thing. But I was I these were the kind of people I was talking to. But I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Seriously, maybe I'm wrong because I've been wrong before. And so maybe this time I just 
Maybe there's something I don't know. Please let me know what I don't know because at this point, your arguments that you've made, I've already seen and heard like a, a billion times at this point. But maybe there's something you don't know that I know. Let's have a conversation. And if you're justified in saying these things in your characterizations of me, of saying that I'm a racist, bigoted asshole who hates black people and is just some sort of internalized white supremacist, then let me know. Explain to me your thought process every single time. No, you're not worth my time. And I'm like, don't you care about unity in the body? Like you talked about, I am very passionate about unity in the body. John 17 is very clear. Jesus wants the unity in the, he wants unity in the body and the same that Jesus has with the father and the Trinity. And that is some crazy kind of unity. And I'm very passionate about that. But then I am not willing to be unified in error. And so I will stand for truth, but at the same time, I'm willing to lay down my pride and my preferences. And it's been so hard to do so because pride is something I struggle with the most, but I've been willing, okay, I've been wrong. Let me know if I'm wrong. Explain to me, let's have a conversation because that's what I'm here for. I'm not here to own the libs. I'm not here to make myself, elevate myself above you guys. That's literally, what do I accomplish by doing that? I'm here to show you guys the truth because I truly do believe that you guys are being led away to death because what happens when you start to compromise on little truths, ultimately you compromise on the essential truths. And you see liberation theology bleed into churches today. You see progressivism bleed into the, into churches today. Right. And so that's a big concern of mine. So I'm like, okay, let's have a conversation. Never. They never want to have a conversation. I remember this is one girl, one friend I talked to, and then she, I was trying to convince her like, yeah, black people aren't being hunted by police today. It's just not factual. It's not happening and sensationalized. Black people are more likely to be struck by lightning than to be shot and killed by cops. Yeah. And she was like, no, 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 no. And then, uh, and she wasn't bringing up any argument. She was just like, no, I've read books about this. So it's completely like arrogant for you to say that, you know, more than me. I'm like, I'm not saying I know more than you, but you're not bringing up any argument. She's like, yeah, well, maybe I'm not as good. Well-versed about the facts today. I'm like, whoa, hold on. If I can convince you that black people aren't being targeted and they're not some crazy victims of some sort of ethereal systemic oppression, systemic racism, will you concede your argument? And will you believe me? You know what she said? No. And I'm like, what? And she said, because it's not a matter of opinion. It's a matter of fact. And I'm right and you're wrong. So I'm like, whoa. So the only reason you're having this conversation with me right now, it's not to learn. It's not to open your mind to new possibilities, but it's to prove me wrong. That is the only reason you're having this conversation. You're not even willing to hear my side. She's like, yeah. And I'm like, what? I'm like, sorry, there's no point in having this conversation. Then it's a waste of my time and your time. And I'm like, it's like talking to a wall. And she's like, how dare you? How dare you? That's so condescending. I'm just like, oh my, this is exactly what they do. They attack you and they throw ad hominems. They insult you and they aren't willing to listen to you. And then the moment you start to characterize what they're doing to you, they project and they victimize themselves. And then they always make you at fault. It's always your fault. And these are the kind of conversations that I've had. And it's been overwhelmingly, 90% of it, of the hate, honestly, that I've gotten were from professing Christians who have, you know, John 3.16 in their bio. They say, love, you know, you know, they have, what's the verse in like First Peter when it says love covers a multitude of sins. Mm-hmm. They have that in their bio and then they say nasty things about me. I'm just like, no. 
<laughs> and so that's right. why I truly yeah. do believe what's going on today in our culture. And I think it's 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 very evident with scripture where Paul talks about we don't rush, wrestle against flesh and blood, right? But I really do think it's demonic because there's no way that professing Christians can be this hypocritical and this unrepentant if they have the spirit living inside of them. Everyone's in a different walk in their life. Everyone's in a different stage of sanctification. The spirit works differently in every person's life. But a mark of a Christian is humility. And if they can't even have like, if they don't even have the humility to take a step back and be like, wait, maybe I'm wrong, then I really doubt they're walking with the spirit. And I, I really do doubt, I really do doubt if they're actually a Christian or not. For sure. You know, like when I guest speak at, you know, different groups and stuff like that, I tend to estimate, usually in my experience, if you take the average youth group, college group, college fellowship, I usually estimate about one third of the people in the room that I'm speaking to have like real faith. Like they're mm-hmm. really trying to follow the Lord, right? It's usually like about a third or something like that. And every mm-hmm. group's different, so it'll be higher and lower in summers. But what that what I feel like is the majority of most church communities, most church congregations, are filled with people who are really not very serious about their faith, yeah. right? It's like you know whether it's cultural, they're doing it because you know uh, you know they just have they've not surrendered their lives. Their lives mm-hmm. are not surrendered to Christ. Yeah, and what I tend to find is it's mostly these people, right, who are in mm-hmm. this camp where they're part of church, they're part of it, but they don't walk with real faith, and they're the most open to all of what you described as, like, this liberation theology, which is, right, this is a foreign worldview with Christian skin on, right? Mm. This is yeah. this is Marxism with Christian skin on, and it really appeals to this crowd because— it, it, it's like popular love. It's love that's popular in our culture, right? And I tend to find that this has taken over the cultures of so many groups. In particular, I'm really worried about the campus fellowships. I don't know what your campus fellowship was like, Cognitive at USC. Um, look, I'm just going to – can I be blunt? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I tend to hear when I – Students of mine who have been part of KCM, the criticism yeah. against KCM I tend to hear is that it's like more like social club than mm-hmm. like, and that's not uncommon. That's a lot of fellowships, right? They tend right. to fall into that category mm-hmm. where it's more like we're about fellowshipping, quote unquote, and hanging out, and they're down, they're not really down for like the missions work. They're mm-hmm. not really down for you know the prayer, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. And and then. I see a number of other fellowships, and I'm looking at InterVarsity. I was part of InterVarsity when I was in college. I'm looking mm-hmm. at Crew these days, um, and they're going increasingly woke, right? Mm-hmm. Where this stuff is, you know, I think InterVarsity had a BLM person at one at one of their recent um, Urbana conferences, right? I've heard, I'm not sure about this, I've heard that Crew has made social justice now one of its main platforms and main teachings as ministries and the thing is i see a pattern here right where in the student volunteer missions movement of the early 1900s you had this battle between the ymca and the in intervarsity in those days and one was the liberal side one was the conservative side the conservatives want to be like hey we need to do missions to save people's souls and the liberals are like hey you know we don't want to call them you know heathens and pagans and let's just love them and you know, help them in the ways that we can, but let's not emphasize the whole sin thing. Very similar to what's going on today in these campus fellowships. 
So I wanted to ask you, because I feel like what's happening is all these young people are in a similar place to you where they're coming up through these Christian programs, these youth groups, these college ministries. And by the time they graduate from college, the vast majority have been already completely brainwashed in this perspective. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and the problem here, Kamian, is that as, as I'm a pastor who is very outspoken on these things, I'm unemployable at 90% of these churches. They will not hire people like me precisely because I'm too controversial and I'm offending too many people. But I tend to see it as, look, we need to offend these people. Our churches should not be filled, right, two-thirds of them with people who aren't serious about their walk with God, who are not surrendered, and who are importing all of this, you know, definition of love that is not the biblical definition of love. I don't know. What do you think about all of that? Yeah, I totally agree. Here's the thing. I just it's, it's, it just it just boggles my mind where so many professing Christians, especially the woke Asian bubble liberal girl Christians in SoCal. OK, not just girls, but guys, too. But it's, it's, they're usually emasculated guys. They think that their faith is relegated to going to church, hanging out with people and maybe handing bulletins on Sunday. That's it. That's literally their faith. They don't talk about Jesus with anyone at work. They don't preach the gospel to any unbeliever. And if they do, it's with the program at church. They don't have bold faith. They're not living out surrendered and abandoned for Christ. They're not, they don't care about the cause of Christ. And here's the thing. I, I say that because then people might go, oh, you're so judgmental. No, no, it's true. Jesus says to pick up your cross. What does that mean? Picking up your cross doesn't look like posting your uh, posting a Bible verse every once in a while on Instagram story. That is not picking up your cross. Picking up your cross is preaching the gospel to all nations to be radically loving to a hurting and broken world, preaching the truth to a world headed for death and destruction. And even if they stone you to death, even if they crucify you, you do it rejoicing, knowing that Jesus had already done that. He has set that path before you. He has already done that. And Hebrews talks about Jesus has suffered everything that we will ever suffer. He's our great sympathizer. Jesus has done all this. He has set the example for us. With what does picking up your cross and following him look like? But then Christians are like, oh, man, that's too hard for me. I mean, you cannot tell me that doing a five-minute Google search, five minutes, five-minute Google search, on the definition of social justice to understand liberation theology to look, even look at what blm stands for is is too hard for you can you confidently say that if that's too hard for you that you're you're you you're not you're picking up your cross can you confidently say that that's what frustrates me so much there are christians christians are the most persecuted group in the whole entire world the media will never cover this christians in the in First world countries don't care about this and they don't talk about it. But there are millions, tens and hundreds of millions of Christians being persecuted right. on levels unimaginable right now in third world countries. If you go, if you're in Indonesia and you're like, hey, I'm Christian, jailed. If you go to like some, you know, mu- a cu- country in the Middle East with Sharia law, you're like, hey, I love Jesus, jailed, thrown off buildings, stoned to death, your head cut off. 
Are you kidding me right now? You can't even do a five minute Google search. And sorry, I'm getting very passionate, but this is where I feel because we have it so, we're so blessed in this country. Even me having this mic, this camera, this computer to talk to you on unbelievable wealth and blessing. And you're not stewarding any of that for Christ? Any of it? Are you kidding me right now? And you can't even stand up for anything? These same people, when slavery was illegal, when Jim Crow was illegal, they would not have stood up against these people enslaving people because of the color of their skin. They wouldn't have because the popular cultures that normalize that. What is normalized today? They haven't stood up for anything. The, these same people, if they were in Nazi Germany, they would have been the same Christians like Dietrich Bonn. Uh, Bonhoeffer talks about in his autobiography, they would have been the same Christian saying, yeah, we need to support Hitler because Romans 13. Romans 13 says to submit to authority. So we're just going to listen to Nazi Germany, taking all the propaganda and assimilate to the culture because we we're scared of, you know, being, you know, going against government because, you know, obeying government is our only sole purpose as citizens in this country. These people have terrible exegesis, and whenever they read the Bible, whenever they listen to sermons, they only listen to things that tickle their ear, and they try to mold it into their worldview because ultimately comfort has become one of the biggest idols in this country for the Western church. And so I've seen that in college, and I was I fell prey to that. I remember, though, I had a huge passion for the loss, especially on campus my senior year, and I would tell my servant, my servant team like staff, I'd be like, like I would be very harsh on them, like very blunt. Like, we're not here to just hang out. We're here to make disciples on campus. That's our sole purpose. And if you're not here for this, like, you can leave. And I've got so much, I got so much backlash. They're like, Kangmin, you're so harsh. You have to have grace. And at that time, I was like, you know what? Maybe I should speak with a little more grace. Right? I look back, I should have been harsher. <laughs> I should have been harsher. You can't tell me that taking out one hour out of your semester to attend a meeting Sunday evening to regroup as one whole staff is too much for you because you have to study for a midterm that you procrastinated on. Meanwhile, you're binge watching Netflix. Are you kidding me? I remember, I remember at church too, my pastor would want to like extend the time we spent together on Sunday. He wants to fellowship, you know, he wants to do extended Bible study and things like that. And everyone was like, Oh, pastor, you're too, that's too much. Church is too long. You're making it four or five hours at church. That's too long. I have to study. And then meanwhile, they watch like a three-hour end, like Avengers Endgame movie, and they have no problem with that. Right. This is the Christianity that we live in today in the American church, especially in SoCal, and especially in the Asian American church, and especially in the Korean American church. And this is the Christianity we're living right now, and it's really frustrating for me to see that. Yeah. And then they 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 just point the finger at me, and then they yell in my face saying. Oh, Kangmi, you're just so political. You're so controversial. You're just doing it for likes and clicks and clout. I'm like, I got canceled from my closest friends. I literally hit up my closest friends when I went to, back to LA to visit and they didn't reply to me. They didn't even, they didn't, they don't even, I don't even know what they're up to anymore because they don't respond to me. I, I hit them. I'm like, hey, you guys want to catch up? I miss you guys. Hope you guys are doing well. No one, there's no one like, like more than half of the people from my campus fellowship and all the friends that I had in college canceled me and don't like me anymore. Unfollowed me, unfriended me. The, even the closest people I served with. You think this is easy for me? Jesus had a hard time too when his friends abandoned him. You think Jesus had it okay when Peter denied him three times? You think Jesus had it okay when his, one of his closest friends, Judas Iscariot, sold him out for three shekels of silver? Are you kidding me? Friend, losing friends is hard. It's not easy, but I'm willing to do so 
because the truth is so much more important and living out biblical Christianity is so much more important than just some feel good message as you just hear on Sundays and then go out and live like the rest of the world. If you don't look different than the world, you're doing something wrong. Jesus says the world will hate you. If you look like the world, you might not be on the right side. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, look, I from my perspective, what we've just gone through a year of pruning in the church. I have yeah. to think that, you know, I, I've talked with a lot of pastor friends, and a lot of them, you know, if, if their congregation was normally like 100, it's like 40 right now, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, that's pretty common in a lot of places, right? A lot of those people that... Um, you know, have been doing online church for the past year, they're not coming back, right? A lot of those people are not coming back. And um, honestly, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I want—I just want to be, you know, clear here, because I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't love those people, right? Absolutely reach out to them. And, you know, we hope. But I think the worst thing that can happen is, you know, the worst thing is you're one of the foolish virgins, right? Mentioned in Matthew 25, you come to the wedding feast and Lord, Lord, it's, it's me. And he's like, I never knew you. I never had intimacy with you, right? I, y- You don't want to be the servant with one talent that you hid in the ground because you knew your master was a hard man. And the Lord on the day of judgment says, you wicked and lazy servant, right? And he assigns you a place, right, with those who are weeping and gnashing their teeth outside. We don't, I would rather those people be shocked now, mm-hmm. right? We don't want to coddle those people and tell them, you know, this is one of my problems as a pastor. I hear so much emphasis of the love and the grace of God, and I love that. I love the love and grace of God, but I also love the severity and the harshness and the discipline of God because both are necessary. If you just have a dad who only tells you, I love you, I love you, I love you, and he never disciplines you, he never does any of that, well, look, you're going to have problems in your life because we all need discipline. And it just seems to me that that's where a lot, that's where the culture of the church has gone to this place where, look, let's be honest, on our watch, we've seen the nation backslide more than any other generation in in American history. And, you know, you and I are both Korean Americans. Same thing in Korea, right? Like, we've seen the greatest backsliding of our two people groups, you know, in our lifetimes. And this is on our watch. And I think, you know, this judgment, this, you know, I've, I've felt like God is pruning in this past year. This is a pruning movement. And um, on one level, it's really sad because people you know get pruned, right? And you you mourn for them. But on another level, comment, I just feel like, look, I don't want what happened to you to happen to anybody. Anybody who's earnestly, like, I look at, at college students like you, and honestly, I'm, I'm so encouraged and I'm so, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm rooting you on. I feel like I'm rooting you on. Because when I see young men and women of faith who are, like, putting it on the line, even though it costs them, it costs them friends, it costs them all these things. Why? For the sake of truth. Because they feel like, no, I've got to do this for the sake of God. Um, and I know all the the backlash that comes. Like, one of the most, one of the big ones I hear all the time is, hey, as Christians, you know why? Why would we be so political? Right? I'm sure you get that all the time, right? So I want to I want to ask you, like, sh- sh- why are you so political, Kangman, if you're really about Jesus? Yeah. Well, I just kind of want to address your first point about uh, earlier point about the wrath of God. The thing is, we can't understand the grace and the love of God without the wrath of God. And this is the problem in the American church where they've 
always talk about love and grace and love and grace, right? But without understanding the wrath of God, all that does is cultivate a sense of entitlement yeah. and grow this this um, cult of self-love where it's like, like where the Bible never says, it, it never says to love yourself, it says to deny yourself. But where they say, oh, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. And then, you know, when they say, you know, you're going to hell, it's like, how dare you? It's like, <laughs> it's like, like, what do you think will happen if you keep raising up the gener- next generation, you molly coddle them, you just tell them Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, which he does very much so. He died on the cross for you. But if you don't understand the wrath of God, that won't mean anything. All right. it will do, it, it'll be a vehicle for you to become narcissistic. That's all it will do. This is why I love Francis Chan so much because this guy, almost every single sermon I listen to him, he talks about the wrath of God. Yeah. And he always talks about the greatness of God. If you were came into, even just got a glimpse, you know, in Isaiah 6, you know, Isaiah gets a glimpse of the throne room. And gosh, he falls flat on his face as woe is man, for I am a man of unclean lips. Depart from me. And yeah. God's like, nah, chill. But like literally, like even a glimpse, he just fell flat on his face. He was terrified. You know, they say, you know, they say, oh, fear of the Lord. You know, it's just this holy reverent fear. No, it's, it's this. You're terrified. If you understand how great God is, you will be terrified at the thought of him. But the crazy thing is that how awesome and wondrous our God is. He is so, he is literally fearsome. He is so beyond us. Yet he took human flesh and he came and died on that cross for us so that we could be in relationship with him once again, right? Right. The gospel is nothing without the righteousness and wrath of God. If you don't understand that, the cross becomes this minuscule thing that you can just flick around. doesn't mean anything to you. And so the wrath of God needs to come back. The truth needs to come back. People need to be offended. They need to be offended for them to grieve over their unrepentance, to grieve over their sin, so that that can lead to godly repentance for them to find genuine saving faith. Right. So, like you were talking about, we need to bring back the the like sermons and talk about the wrath of God because if there is no wrath, if we don't understand the justice of God, then we get like flung like swept away by everything the world is telling us and the world's notions of morality, but. Back to the earlier point, your earlier question yeah, about political. <laughs> yeah. Jesus was very political. He had commentary on what to do, right? You know, people were like, Jesus, what should we do with taxes, man? He's like, give, give unto Caesars what's Caesars, give unto yeah. God what's God. That's a political statement. Yeah. But today, in our day and age, every single thing has become political. And not only are Christians called to be, you know, like light and salt and light in the world, which includes politics. This is the weirdest thing. I, t- I talk about this often on my Instagram, but it's the weirdest thing. And every single sphere of society, Christians go like, yeah, like, let's be a light. Let's preach the gospel to entertainment, to STEM, to education, all these things. And it's like, oh, but politics, no, 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 no. We stay away from politics because, you know, we're a kingdom of God. We're apolitical. I'm like, what the heck? Anyways, but everything has become political. Abortion, which is literally the murdering. If you as a Christian believe that is a child, that abortion is literally genocide. 62 million children have been killed, slaughtered, mutilated, poisoned. Are you kidding me? These are children. That that's political. You saying that men are not women, that is political. You saying that we should honor the Lord, that's political. 
because people now say that Christianity is a form of white supremacy. It is the religion of the white man. So if you're a Christian now, you're just trying to be like the white man. All these things have become political. And even more so, BLM has been shoved in our faces this past year. Mm-hmm. And every single Christian commented on it. That's a political statement. Hello. Right. So this idea that we're called to be apolitical is completely unbiblical. All it is, it's a ra- rationalization for lazy Christians who do not want to get any sort of backlash from the world. And they want to feel good about their inaction and their passivity. That's all it is. It's really that simple. And so when we think about it, our call, and I have a, I have a good friend on Twitter. He, he's very wise. And he said this, our call as Christians is not to find some comfortable middle ground between left and right, because the Overton window will always shift. But our call is to be as closely aligned to scripture as possible. And if that aligns us with one political side more closely than the other, so be it. Right. It may be, you know, maybe like a century ago or two centuries ago, a, a actual Bible believing gospel proclaiming Jesus loving Christian would have been a liberal. You know, I mean, I mean, that's probably very true. And I honestly think we would have been liberals back in the day, but that doesn't mean like, like, Oh, you're not Christian. It's like, okay. But like, if you align with scripture at the time, it was very liberal, you know, classical liberalism to advocate for, you know, monogamous relationships uh, to advocate for the abolition of slavery and treat people based as in, as individuals, not as collectives. That was a classically liberal tenet, right? So if you're a Christian back in the day, probably would have been liberal. Today, if you are a Christian, you're a conservative. The left is so unhinged. They are literally saying that we should chemically castrate children and we should advocate for drag queens and we should champion drag queens twerking for two-year-olds at the public library. This is the left. I am not mischaracterizing them. This is what they believe in. And they believe that, you know, you should judge people based on their skin color. Your skin color is your primary identity. Your sexuality is your primary identity. You should celebrate who you sleep with. You should just sleep around as long as it's consensual. I mean, these are tenets of the left because yeah. it's rooted in a lot of this postmodern, you know, you know, scientism, you know, postmodernism, Marx, cultural Marxism, all these ungodly, unbiblical ideology. That's what the left is rooted in today. If you're a Christian, you cannot align with the left. That's all it is. You have to be political. There's no way you can't be political. Literally, pastors are being jailed today in Canada for opening up their churches. That's political. At a certain point, you got to start standing up for truth. You can't just keep hiding. Because ultimately, what you do is you compromise on your beliefs and you compromise on the truth. And eventually, you believe in a false gospel. That's exactly what happens. So. You got to be political. I'm sorry. You don't, maybe you don't have to be on the forefront. You know, I always say this. If every single Christian talked to one person and invested in just one person in their life and got them to believe, got them to believe in Christ or got them to, you know, get, got their eyes to open up to the truth, we would win the culture easily if just one person, you know, so you don't have to be like me where I'm just like out in the spotlight, like you ranting all the time. But we have to be active. We have, we're called to different areas of life, but we have to be faithful in our callings. We can't, you know, be, get stuck up, get stuck in our inaction and our passivity right. because that's not what God calls us to. He gives us a spirit of boldness, uh, not a fear and timidity. So yeah. that's how I feel about that. You know, I want to talk about that because one thing that I think is significant about you, like your tone, right? You're a Christian, 
but I hear in your tone like you're more aggressive, right? Mm -hmm. You're more aggressive. And if you look at people like Candace Owens, people mm -hmm. like Donald Trump, they all have a similar tone to them. And that tone is something that like the church has tried to stay away from, mm -hmm. right? There is this culture in the church where the most loving person is the nicest person. It's something mm -hmm. like that, right? Yeah. And like when you think of like that that perfect pastor, well, you think of like like that warm teddy bear, and you know he'll never get upset or mad at anybody, and he's so loving and kind. And that's kind of you know our cultural value of what a great Christian looks like. Mm -hmm. But from my perspective, I feel like God is raising up people that aren't afraid of offending people because offense is being used as a tool of control in our generation, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The number one tactic that people use is, how dare you say that? I'm so offended, which means you're being so unloving, right? And as a Christian, that's like, you know, the worst thing you can do is to be unloving or something like that. And I just feel like I appreciate um, the more aggressive tone, you know, that a lot of leaders are starting to come with these days. Because, look, I think when you read Scripture, Jesus was pretty aggressive sometimes. And and the apostles were pretty aggressive. Like, uh, man, if you just take some time and read through the harsh, aggressive parts of the New Testament— it is, uh, trust me, it's more aggressive than almost any famous pastor you've ever heard of, except for like John MacArthur, right? Like, but like, you know, the average pastor, like the apostles are more aggressive than these guys. And yeah. so I just want to say, I appreciate that. I think that that's what we need. We need an aggressive voice that's unafraid and unintimidated, and it's not going to get shut down just because people claim to get their feelings hurt by what you're saying. Yeah, I agree. And I think this is where we have to really practice discernment. It's like, okay, are people getting offended because you says you're just being a dick? Okay, then stop being a dick, right? Like I've literally seen conservatives go like, you know, um, for example, oh, I'm looking for a doctor, but no black or Latino doctors because you guys are incompetent. You guys all suck because of affirmative action. I'm only looking for white and Asian doctors. I'm like, okay, that's just blatantly racist. That's <laughs> yeah. not okay. You yeah. should get backlash, right? right? And then they're like, oh, no, but, you know, the truth offends, doesn't it? I'm like, no, no, you're just being a dick, okay? But we, as Christians, like you said, we have to be unafraid to speak the truth in love, but in boldness. Right. And, you know, for me, when I disagree with people, I usually kind of come up with, come to it with kind of more of like a gentle posture. It's like, okay, like I don't want to come off aggressive because our natural inclination as human beings is always defensive. We're prideful. And I do this all the time when someone disagrees with me and I'm like, okay, I get that. I, I get defensive. I'm like, ah, well, why you, I'm, I'm right. You're wrong. Why are you <laughs> getting all up in my grill? But like you talk about it, one of the biggest lies today is being sold to the church is that it is unloving to offend someone. It might be actually the most loving thing because the gospel in and of itself is offensive. If it's not offensive, it's not the gospel. It is offensive to a world that is narcissistic and self-important. They think the world revolves around them. That's why they have they practice moral relativity because my truth, right? There's no the truth to them. It's my truth. And whatever I say and I believe is true. And if you think any other differently, if you think differently, you're bigot and you hate me right, right. so the, the, and you have to be willing to offend these people because the gospel will offend these kind of people because the gospel says that you were your works are like filthy rags to jesus to god like literally there's nothing you can do to earn salvation you are a sinful wretched person 
But the grace of God is so much bigger than your sin and your depravity that God in his in, in his love, being rich in mercy and grace, sent his son to die on that cross for you so that you can have newness in him and be one with him again and be adopted right. as sons and daughters of the most high king. Right. That's offensive. It's a powerful message. It's the life-giving, redemptive message. But it's it's offensive. And so, you know, as, as Christians, we can't be afraid of preaching the truth. If people keep going like, you not affirming my sexuality is hateful. It's like, no, I'm sorry. You know, the Bible says it's a sin to be gay. There's no other way you can spin it. If you even, you know, look at all the Greek etymologies and the context and everything, it's a sin. And if you look at the totality of the Bible, God made man for a woman. That's it. It's an abomination to sleep with anyone else other than your wife or your husband in the co covenant of marriage. It's not just like a gay thing, but like, it, you know, Hebrews talk about don't undefile, don't defile the, the, you know, the wedding bed and, and it's like, like, these are all sin. And like, we have to be not afraid to say that's sin. Right. Also, another big lie, other than, you know, not offending people is teaching Christians that tolerance is virtue. Right. Tolerance is not a biblical virtue. I don't know where's like, I used to believe that. That's where in the Bible does Jesus say to be tolerant? And if anything, he says to hate sin passionately. James talks about James. If you're a friend of the world, you hate God. It's like it's, yeah. you can't be tolerant of the sin and the degeneracy of our culture today. You can't. There's no way. If there's if something's wrong, you gotta say it's wrong, even if you get backlash for it. Don't hate the person. Don't berate them. Don't look at them as any lesser than, right? But you gotta speak the truth. I mean, you know, I say this about transgenderism all the time. You know, I'm gonna speak the truth. A man is a man. A woman is a woman. Just because you know, identify as a different gender doesn't make you that it's absolute insanity. And what gen people who actually suffer from gender dysphoria, not people who like want to identify as it because of a social, um, you know, credit and things like that. It, but people who actually genuinely you know, struggle and suffer from gen gender dysphoria, it's a mental illness. It doesn't make them any less human. You know, we have to humanize and love these people because they're broken people and they suffer from an actual mental illness but, but you affirming that is more cruel than you telling them that, you know, telling them the truth. I, I always give this example. For example, if, if there's a child, right, who identifies as Superman, they truly in their heart believe that they're Superman. And then you're like, yeah, you're Superman. You, they're like, yes, you know what? I'm going to jump off a building. I can fly. And if you affirm that, is that loving? No, you're going to lead them to actual literal death. This is what happens when you affirm, you know, sex reassignment surgery. When people struggle with gender dysphoria and you're like, yeah, you know what? You should be able to cut, cut off your penis. You should be able to, you know, you know, remove your breast tissue because you are that other sex that you identify as. And then they say, oh, you know, but gender is different than sex. Stop getting this twisted. Gender is literally an ideology formed by this pedophile who drew two sins to suicide by how he's sexually abused these children, these kids. I am not taking moral cues from this kind of ideology. But on top of that, gender is, they say, it's a societal expression of your sex. Well, then this this idea that gender is a spectrum is a lie then because there are only two sexes. And then on top of that, but that doesn't negate that you are a male or you are a female. That is it. That is biological reality. And to assert otherwise, it's cruel. It's very cruel. And so we have to be able to speak the, the truth 
in love, but with boldness and not compromise on it because the most unloving thing you can actually do is to lead people to death by lying to them and giving them a false sense of reality. For sure. And especially when we're talking about children. Like when, you know, when children are being told you can you can choose your own gender or like if, if a boy, a little boy wants to try and address and, and his mom's like, oh, you're a girl, right? Do you like, do you know how damaging that is for that child? It's incredibly damaging. When we're talking about child abuse, that is a kind of child abuse, but it's being legitimized in our culture by people who are saying, no, this is actually really important to help the 0.01% of the population that struggles with gender dysphoria, you know, in a serious way. And, you know, how many more people are being abused by this attempt to love this community in a way that is just simply not wise? Yeah. It yeah, is insane. It, it is insane. And the biggest, that just, it just really saddens me and breaks my heart where professing Christians are okay with this because I don't think they understand the ontological underpinnings of what they're advocating for and where they stand like politically, because there's no such thing as progressive Christianity. That's an oxymoron. The truth doesn't change with time. The truth doesn't change with culture. I remember I talked to one of the associate deans at um, the office of religious life in USC. Um, you know, nice guy, um, great guy, but you know, he's a progressive Christian. And I was talking to him. I'm like, Okay, like I understand where you're coming from. A lot of the points that you make, like you know your history. Okay, you know a lot of theology. Great, but but you assert that morality changes with society, with societal norms, with culture. And so, if that's the case, then nothing is good or evil. You can't judge whether a society is getting better or not because if morality is completely subjected to the times then there's nothing wrong that, okay there's nothing wrong with you asserting that hitler was good in like calling for the genocide of jews there's nothing wrong with you asserting that stalin was great when he murdered millions of people there's yeah. nothing wrong when you, even just me murdering you in this instant what is wrong with that if it's all subjective yeah. if it's just dictated by some people who arbitrarily get to decide whether what is good and evil right if without the objective moral standard of the of the word of God, we have no morality at all. Right. And that that's the weirdest thing. I just don't understand how, you know, non-Christians assert this. They say, we don't need religion to be moral. I'm like, okay, then what 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 makes you what 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 makes it wrong for you to stab me right now? They say, Oh, because it's infringing on your rights. Where do your rights come from? They're like, uh, the government? No, the God. Government bureaucrats don't decide for you what is good or what is good and true and pure. That's right. God. That's all God, a, a, a being who exists outside time, space, and matter, who created you, who had a purpose for you, who intellectually, just in his masterful craft, designed you, made you fearfully and wonderfully. That's We cannot get morality apart from that. Yeah. But then Christians think that you can adopt progressive Christianity because maybe we got it wrong. Maybe, you know, the apostles got it wrong. People who literally walked with Jesus in flesh, maybe they got it wrong. Maybe, you know, Moses got it wrong when, you know, God gave him the law and he came down with the law. Maybe, you know, maybe God is wrong. After What is Christianity at that point then? What does it mean to be Christian if you're just going to deny the teachings of Jesus? 
It doesn't mean anything. And that's what the left tries to do. And they do this so well. They redefine things to the point where you don't even know what you're talking about anymore. They say, you're racist. I'm like, yeah, but you're racist against white people. They say, you can't be racist against white people. I'm like, why not? Because you need to include a system of power. There needs to be a power imbalance. I look up the dictionary. It literally doesn't say anything about that. Literally, racism is prejudice or discrimination against another person solely based on their race. And what is race? It's a societal construct based on the color of your skin or your physical appearance. That's all it is. But they're, they're trying to redefine things so that nothing means anything anymore. And that's the, that's the masterful you know, the way that they do things with postmodern thought where nothing means anything anymore. Whatever's your truth is your truth. It's like, right. we can't live in a society like that. And that is completely unbiblical. Yeah. You know, I feel like a lot of, a lot of where, what you're describing this postmodernism, um, critical theory, a lot of this is, it's being preached by the universities. Like the way mm-hmm. I see universities now, they are you know, the equivalent of a humanist church. Right, a human is like in the same way at church we're supposed to be preaching a biblical worldview. Well, in the universities they're really preaching a humanist worldview, and this is my my concern is this: what I feel like has happened is the church has, uh, in large part, become idolatrous in that we have valued our careers and our finances and all these other things more than the kingdom. And I feel like God has given over large portions of the church to that. And so now what's happening is you have young people who, you know, when we were talking about campus fellowships and you're saying, hey, yeah, you can't even give up an hour of your semester to, you know, share the gospel um, because, you know, you've got a midterm or something like that. I hear that kind of stuff all the time. But what it really shows is this person is not a disciple of Christ. Okay. It doesn't matter that they said the prayer. Right. Doesn't matter they said the prayer, it doesn't matter they got baptized, some of them got baptized multiple times. That does not matter, right? Mm-hmm. What matters is that we put the kingdom first, right? Putting the kingdom first is the thing that shows and the word of God disciplines us, right? And what I'm getting at here is what's happening to me is the church is being exposed, and now we're in a civil war. And it looks pretty obvious to me that we're in a type of civil war. I'm talking in a spiritual sense, right? In a spiritual sense, like, I don't know if you've been following some of the controversy in, like, the SBC that's been going mm-hmm. on, right? Like, you know, um, J.D. Greer has been making comments. There's been this debate to what degree is critical theory important and relevant to our churches, and a bunch of black pastors left, and all this kind of stuff is going on. But that, you know, the 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 SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention, is, like, one of the most conservative, solid, you know, um, denominations in America, the vast majority of the other denominations are already, they've already abandoned that whole thing, you know? And so it just seems to me right now, we're we're in a type of civil war. And it just seems like there is this dividing that is happening right now. I don't know why you made the decision to move to Georgia. I'm going to be moving out of California pretty soon. I've talked to at least four different people who are also moving out of California. Mm-hmm. There were prophecies. I don't know if you're into um, prophecy. Bob Jones prophesied, I think, back in the 80s that there would be a move out of the coasts of America and people would start to move inland. It feels like that is starting to be fulfilled right now. It just seems like everything is splitting and includes the nation and the church. Where do you see this going? Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with you that there's like some sort of civil war in the church. And <clears throat> yeah, I, I honestly do think it'll get a lot worse before it gets better. Um, that's just the sad reality of it. Doesn't mean that we lose hope um, because in the end, you know, 
God wins. I mean, he has already won, and he's Jesus coming back and just gonna destroy everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is ungodly, right? Yeah. Not us. <laughs> but I, I, I do see a further fracturing because what's going on right now is a deep, deep polarization, and that's why I say it's it's demonic. Like I don't say that to be like oh like super swirly and too spiritual. Like you know whatever is not of God is demonic. It's from the enemy. Yeah. So what i said like the deep divide that i'm seeing not only in this country but in the church it is demonic because this didn't happen this kind of split in this country and in the church did not happen until the woke cult started to emerge and shove their doctrine into our faces like you talked about this is a religion wokeism this leftist identitarian identity politics woke culture with critical race theory and cultural marxism and you know all these weird things it's a cult. It has all the tenets of a cult. If you just look up what is, what, how, how do we identify cults? It, it is just all a cult. And, but they've successfully infiltrated all facets of society, all our institutions of power. And so where do we go from here? We're, it, it picked up like, you know, a decade ago, no one knew all this crap. No one cared about this stuff. And then the last decade, 10 years, it just whoosh, shot up like crazy. And, you know, because our institutions of power in this country are so woke and are infected with wokeism and leftism, I just don't see it getting any better because literally it's infected our government too, where the FBI are going after Trump supporters, raiding the houses of January 6th, you know, people who were there January 6th, which was not an insurrection. Whoever says an insurrection, they honestly do not know what actually happened. And they say, people die, the rioters... One person died from the riot, from the riots, and it was Ashley Babbitt from a Capitol Police officer. She posed no threat at all. Everyone else died from natural causes unrelated. They were there at January 6th, but, you know, it, it, their cause of death was unrelated to the events that happened there. Right. Um, but, you know, they'll believe that because the mainstream media shoves that in our faces and the FBI goes after these people, but the FBI doesn't go after Antifa or BLM. The district attorneys in all these, you know, cities and in these places that are really hard hit by what let's call it what it is domestic terrorism right blm and antifa but you know they let them go literal sex you know sex like uh child sex offenders literally being cuffed and brought to court all you know oh you know it's okay why because they're the right skin color yeah this is happening this is happening and then on top of that, you know, we, we like all our main, mainstream media, everyone focuses on, you know, a few criminals who happen to get shot by police because they're resisting arrest. But then they're completely signed up by a seven-year-old, seven-year-old to be shot in the McDonald's drive-thru. Why? Because they don't care about black children. They only care about uplifting black criminals, dead black criminals, so that they can propagate an agenda, right? The, all these things are divided on country more because... Like you said, there's so many sheep in this country and we're all sheep, right? Jesus calls us sheep and we need to be able to listen to our shepherd's voice. But a lot of the church today, their shepherd is not Jesus. Their shepherd is the world. Their shepherd is the enemy. And they listen to that voice and they follow it being led to slaughter. So I, I don't see it uh, like getting any better, like anytime soon, like substantially better. But I do think that there is hope because I think, you and I can both agree in our everyday lives, we don't encounter like crazy blue haired social justice warriors who scream in your face about their reproductive rights, right? We, we don't encounter that on the everyday basis. Most people are just, you know, regular human beings who just 
want to live life right right but because they're so like ignorant they just fall prey to everything these cultural institutions tell them to and that's why i do think it starts with everyone you know it starts in the home and starts in your family starts in your local church and your local community just reach out to one person one person and just like be very intentional be a disciple discipler be a disciple of christ but also a discipler and i do think we can see things get better but i do think that uh, things will start to get worse before it gets better yeah yeah i think so too i think so too um look I just want to say this. I think we are in a type of spiritual civil war right now in the nation. You know, just like the Cold War, the Cold War was primarily an economic, ideological war, and then it it spilled over into, you know, regional conflicts, and luckily we avoided uh, a hot war with the Soviet Union. Um, but the idea is war happens in the spiritual realm in these ways. And I just want to say, look, we're in the spiritual war right now, and I just feel like it's a real fight. It's a real fight for the future of, of the nation. And you can tell who's actually fighting in this battle because they have conviction. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say this comment is, you know, as a, as a young man, um, I'm so thankful for you that you got great conviction and now you're speaking out as loud as you can. And that's, that's great. What we need is we need people of great conviction to rise up and to speak out. And I just want to challenge the believers that are listening to this because, you know, one of the criticisms I get all the time is like, oh, you know, you guys, you get too emotional and God's in control and everything's going to work out for, you know, the, you know, according to his will. And um, I, I really think that is misunderstood. I really think it's misunderstood. We're in a real war. Yes, his will is going to come to pass. Jesus is going to come and rule over the nations of the earth. That's going to happen. But a lot of these issues of what happens to the nations, that's why there's a judgment, right? That's why there's a judgment, sheep and goat nations and things like this. And we're in the battle for their nation. And I just want to challenge believers. What are, what do you have conviction about? Like, what are you really fighting for? Or are you just sitting on the sidelines watching America fight, and you're like, oh, man, they're all just crazy. Like, what's wrong with them? I would lovingly say, then what you are is you're a spectator in this war. Okay? You're a spectator in this battle. But we need convicted believers to rise up and start to speak out. And because the universities are training tens of thousands of these activists every single year. And the church has to produce People of conviction. They have to produce the equivalent on the other side. And the thing is, we're not going to do it in the same numbers, but I think our convictions are deeper and they're built on a more solid foundation. Because, look, I there's a guy named Yuri Bezmanov. I don't know if you've heard of him. I would highly yeah. recommend people check him out on YouTube. Former KGB agent. He has a phenomenal series of lectures. You can still find them on YouTube unless YouTube has already you know, deleted them all. He has the, he you know he talks about religion being the great enemy of Marxism because nobody will die for facts right if you if you say hey does two plus two equal four and then you put a gun to their heads and you say doesn't it equal five right people are going to go yes it equals five <laughs> right they're not going to die for facts but what people will die for is religious conviction when they get real religious conviction the the state can't move them. The propaganda can't move them, right? All of the media outlets can't move them because they have a solid conviction. And I just want to lovingly say, that's what we need. 
I, I feel like when the scriptures say that the eyes of the Lord are searching to and fro throughout the earth, seeing whose hearts are wholly devoted to him, that he may strengthen them, I feel like what it's saying is that God is looking for people that, number one, have real intimacy with him, they're really worshipers. And number two, out of that place of intimacy, they get real burdens and convictions from his heart that give them the strength to stand against popular opinion or against, you know, hostile ideologies. And this is what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual, and they're powerful for the tearing down of strongholds. We demolish arguments and ideologies that raise themselves above the knowledge of Christ. And this is what we're dealing with. We are dealing with a Marxist ideology, a humanist ideology that has infiltrated, like you said, all of these places of influence. And I'll tell you, our young people are being brainwashed by this, and you can see by how they are turning away from Christ at alarming rates. And I lovingly challenge the church, how long are we going to sit back and watch this happen? How long are we going to continue? Because I still talk to believers all the time. I'm always like, oh, what, what do you plan to do? That? Well, you know, I'm getting my degree, and then I'm going to try and get this job. And I, look, those aren't bad concerns. Please, you know, have some concerns about job. We all have to work and stuff like that. I get that. But what about the kingdom, right? What about the kingdom? What are you doing for the kingdom? And I lovingly say, this is it's such a disconnect. When people accuse people like you and me of being overly political, I, I, I just want to say, hey, take your head out of the sand. All right, if you can't see how the battle that we're in for the nation involves politics and political ideologies, you're not paying attention. It's obvious that it involves these things, but we need believers to get off of the sidelines. And I just lovingly say this, when I was in college, I was at Berkeley, and I didn't want to be political at all. I was like, I don't care about politics. I just care about the kingdom of God and praying for revival and missions and all that kind of stuff. And God had to correct and rebuke me and give me understanding. No, if I'm going to fight to disciple the nation, to teach the nation, to observe all of Jesus' commandments, I'm going to have to wade into political waters sometimes because it's the world that has politicized these issues. It's not me becoming political, okay? The world has decided to make religious and moral issues political, and because of that, I have to wade into those waters without fear of offending people and start to sound the alarm. And I'm just challenging believers. Look, if you don't care about what's going on in our nation today, if you don't care about you know the Marxism and all this kind of stuff, I, loving, I lovingly say this. Hey, maybe it's because you're not engaged in the war that is the literally the purpose of your life, right? I tell people, hey, if you're a missionary to another nation, thank God for you. Go to that nation, all right, and bap- and disciple that nation in the ways of Jesus. But if you're here, then newsflash, you're a missionary to America, and you better get your butt in the game. You got to get your butt in the war. And if you're not in the war, what are you doing? And most believers are still sitting on the sidelines watching this battle. Yeah. And I, I always say this, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Whoever sold you that idea is, com- you, you've been deceived, completely deceived. What Christians do, kind of like a football huddle, right? They come to church and the church is like the football huddle. You you get together, you plan out plays. you like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to execute it. Ready? Go! And then the world is the sidelines. And you're not out on the field. And the other team, the world, they're getting yards on you. They're scoring on you all the time, but you're still sitting on the sidelines in your huddle thinking, yeah, but, you know, God is sovereign. 
God is sovereign. God is sovereign. It's like, yes, he's sovereign, but he doesn't call you to twiddle your thumbs and watch as the world takes over everything that God values in this country. Like, it's, I, you know, here's the thing. It's like, okay, if adults want to ruin their lives, fine. But when it comes to my children, I will not. When it comes to the children, I will never, ever compromise. Jesus says in Matthew 18, if you cause any of these little ones, when he's talking about children, to stumble, it's better if you tie a millstone around your neck and drown to the depths of the ocean. I didn't say that. Jesus said it. Don't shoot the messenger. I literally come to you letting you know Jesus literally, if, if he would have gone to every single person who was okay with abortion, who was okay with chemical castration, was okay with child abuse and you know, teaching gender ideologies, brainwashing children with this, psychologically torturing children with this kind of nonsense. Jesus would have went straight to their face and said, you need to tie a stone around your neck and drown. It's better if you do that. It is more, that is more merciful for you than what you'll encounter in hell, what you have ready for you. And here's the thing, that sounds so unloving to a world that hates Christ, who doesn't know God. But if you know what's on God's heart, that is nothing. But here's the thing. That's why I fight so hard. That's the main impetus because, like, I want to know what's on God's heart, you know. And his his heart is for the nations. His heart is for his beloved. But the thing is, he has a special place in his heart for the little ones. Jesus said, let them come to me. You know, in the, in the, in the Old Testament, all it talks about how God formed you in your womb. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. God values children very, very much. If you do anything to these children, you are worthy of worse things that, oh, it's, it's the app, like literally God's heart is so big for these children. And what's happening right now is a war, especially for the hearts and mind of our children. And they're indoctrinating them. They're psychologically torturing them. They're literally murdering them in the womb. Right. And on top of that, the left, the media, our cultural institutions, Hollywood, celebrities, you know, everyone in power today, all of the left, they ignore, they completely yawn when children are shot in the face. They don't care. They absolutely do not care. But they they scream at the top of their lungs when a rapist, a serial killer, anyone who is the right skin color happens to die. I'm sorry, I am not. I, I don't feel much sorrow when a guy who literally went around raping women, killing tens of people who burned people alive is on death row. I'm sorry. I, I, I am not, I'm not sad. That is not a person we should be mourning for. You know who should we should be mourning for? Innocent children shot in the face at alarming rates now because cities are defunding their police and pulling s- s- literally getting rid of the safety of these high crime communities, subjecting little children, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, six-year-olds to gang violence. Right. Are you kidding me? And this is the left. This is why I'm so adamantly against the left because this is the left. I mean, there's this one girl, I forgot her name. Um, Three-year-old white girl, sweet little girl. She was beat to death by her foster mom. You know why no one cared about it and no one covered it? Because her foster mom was black. And her foster mom, literally, the reason why she beat her three-year-old daughter, 
was because she had thoughts of white privilege. She hated white privilege. This is the kind of thing, the demonic nature that the left is cultivating today is not a political thing. It is a spiritual war. And if you're on the sidelines right now, I need you guys to wake up and engage because Jesus, you know, the Bible is very clear. You will be judged for what you do on this earth. You will be judged on every single word that you say. You will be judged on every single action that you take or don't take. That's not a matter of salvation or not, of course, because we're saved by grace through faith alone, not by works, you know, so that we won't boast. But, you know, there is a reward in heaven for those who are good stewards in this life. Right. If you're not, and especially because we're saved by grace through faith unto good works, right? We're made, we're his craftsmanship. We're made to do good works. You know, faith without works is dead. If you're not engaging and if you're not fighting for the future of our children, if you're not fighting in this spiritual war that we're seeing ourselves in, do you really have genuine saving faith? You have to ask yourself this. This is what I ask myself all the time. And, you know, when I see, I, I have tons of people who, you know, are, you know, you go through seasons of life. Of course you do, you know, and because this is a marathon, this is not a sprint. So then there's times where you fall and stumble. But I see the fruit in my fellow brothers and sisters in, in Christ. I see the fruit in their life, even when they doubt their faith, even when they question their salvation, even when they get into slumps in life, they still have the fruit of the spirit exemplified so clearly in their life right. that I know that they have genuine saving faith. So we always have to ask ourselves, like, if we get into a place of complacency, yeah. like, God, forgive me, forgive me, because I'm not called to a life of comfort. I'm not called to a life of complacency. If I'm not suffering, if I'm not getting a backlash, if the world doesn't hate me for loving you and following you, Lord, forgive me for I am not being faithful in my life and in my walk of faith. Yeah, I hear you. Um, this one, I've got two more questions before I let yeah. you go. I'm coming because I know there's a lot of people who are in. Um, the same situation that you were in college, maybe they just got red pilled or maybe they're listening to stuff and they're like, Hey, I'm getting these convictions. I feel like I can see it, but I don't have a podcast. I don't have a platform. Like what can I really do? Mm-hmm. What would you say to those people? Well, I mentioned this earlier, but just be a light. You don't have to be I, I like, it's not a sin not to have social media. If anything, it's better if you don't have social media. The reason why I've, I'm so convicted to be very vocal on social media is because that's we get most of our information from social media, right? And so because the left is already so big on social media, um, I feel like you know people who are sane, Christians and conservatives need to be on social media to combat all the craziness and brainwashing, especially on TikTok and Snapchat. Those places are the worst for brainwashing children. But just be a light in your immediate community. If there's someone in your family who doesn't know Christ or, you know, is swept away by the lies and empty promises of leftism, be a light, show them, have those hard conversations. Or if there's someone in in your friend group, who's like that, granted, they haven't canceled you and they're, they're still your friend, you know, show them, show them the truth. Someone in, you know, like uh, maybe participate in, you know, in your local community, especially, especially in education, especially we need more parents. And what I've been very encouraged to see a lot of parents uh, step up to the plate these days and like speak out against the racism. That is critical race theory. Talk about gender ideology and all these things that are indoctrinating their children. They're like, what the heck? I don't like this. They're speaking up. And so be engaged, be involved. And it doesn't have to be grandiose. You don't have to be on the world stage, 
because ultimately someone who changes their home changes the world honestly it start change starts at the home it starts at the local level starts in these small communities first and foremost because what the world what what humanity is it's just small pockets of communities right yeah. And I'm grateful for, you know, the internet age and the information age and the internet and all how we're connected. But I think that's where we lose sight mm-hmm. or we only focus on like Trump and Biden. Do you even know your local mayor? Do you know your city council members? Chances are you don't. But those people will affect change more than whatever Biden does in office. And he, what, what Biden does in office is very important for sure and affects every American. But a lot of the nitty gritty small policy issues and a lot of the things that your children are going to be taught and things like that, that happens on the local level. You can fight. You don't have to have a platform. You can just literally show up to like school board meetings and be like, Hey, I want to voice my opinion and you fight, you know, to say no. If you know someone who doesn't completely hate you and doesn't cancel, hasn't canceled you yet. And you know, you haven't seen them for a while, but you see them posting very social justice stuff, meet up with them, buy them coffee, buy them a meal, you know, be there for them, love them. You know, in First Corinthians 13, it says love is patient, but the Greek word for patient is long suffering, right? And a lot of times when, when we want to see fruit, we have to be willing to be patient and suffer long for these people. So that's what I would say, because ultimately you don't always need a platform, but you can just be, you know, like that light, the salt and light in your small communities. Because ultimately, man, I, I honestly don't think, you know, when Jesus went around from village to village, he was just like a homeless dude with 12 other guys are just like saying what the Pharisees and all the Jews at the time thought were nonsense and like crazy insanity, right? Mm. Because he claimed he was the son of God, Mm. but that's all he did. But then what did, what did that lead to, right? Him and 12 other men, fishermen, tax collectors, whatever, just regular dudes led it to let, and it was only three years, three and a half years of ministry too. What, what did that lead to? It led to the most cataclysmic, crazy most influential impactful movement in human history known as christianity just a small guy small just regular jewish man who was of course son of god but he was also 100 god but 100 human him humbly with 12 other guys going from village to village in their small communities a little pocket of israel the area of israel and what did that lead to? And Jesus says that, you know, we'll be able to do greater things than he after he leaves, you know, and he left and the spirit came. But, you know, yeah. Jesus says we can do greater things. We can have confidence in that, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's great advice. I would just I would just add, like, as a pastor, someone who's been a local church pastor, I will tell you, there's a lot of politics in churches, okay? Mm-hmm. And the way politics works is when people voice what's important to them, it becomes part of the way that organizations move. And honestly, what I've seen in a lot of churches is a lot of them are going more woke because those people are loudest in the church community, right? Mm-hmm. And I would just encourage, if you're more conservative in your church community, you need to find ways to influence your church. And to be clear, I don't think you should be manipulative. I don't think you should be threatening anybody or anything <laughs> like that, right? But just like encouraging your pastor, pastor, thank you for speaking out about abortion, right? We need leaders like you to do that, right? Or like in your small group, right? 
sharing what you're convicted about. And again, you're not you don't have to force your view down anybody's throat, but just saying, hey, I think this is really important. And, and, and sharing, that's fine. That's what small groups are for, for things like that. We help determine the culture of the things that we're in. And then, yeah, if you are if you have other places where you're on the, the board somewhere or you have an ambition to potentially be influential in some of these places, I say go for it. We need believers with conviction to rise up in these places outside of the church as well. And so I think all of that is great. And, you know, I don't know if you, people know this, but there's been this huge move of people like encouraging, hey, go into politics, consider running, you know, consider running for office or your school board or something like that. There's a lot of leaders out there that feel like, oh, I don't know how to do this, but they feel a burden, but I've got to do something. I would encourage you just pray about what could God be leading you to do in this season to influence the nation for righteousness. Okay. Yeah, just to just to add on to that, actually, um, what you talked about when you're like encouraging your pastor when they stand up for truth, it's it's very important that you do so not only privately but publicly. And the reason why I say that is because when I got most of my backlash last year and even this year too during the Stop Asian Hate movement, but when I got most of my backlash, I got tons of messages. I did. I got tons of messages of people like, "Hey, like I just want to let you know, like I, I'm here for you. I agree with you," and it was very comforting. But then. A few months later, when I reflected on this, I realized like, but then they always followed that up with saying, but I can't say that because I'll get canceled. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you don't think I'm getting canceled right now, too? Here's the thing. The only reason why cancel culture exists is because you enable it because people aren't speaking out. And like you said, politics works where if enough people speak out, that'll influence the culture and influence what people in authority do. Because you're so scared of these fringe voices and these crazy cancel woke mobsters, you don't speak out, then no one's going to speak out. And then you're just going to let all these people trample all, all over you. And then when there's people like you and there's like people like me where we speak out and then you just say privately, hey, I support you. Well, we're just going to be like, like burned at the stake. And then yeah. you're what? What? what, what? What does you privately messaging people who are getting canceled and standing up for truth do? It encourages, but it doesn't do any, it doesn't leave any impact on for the kingdom and on the culture at all. Like wh- one of the things that I wish that people did, the amount of people who messaged me individually almost was um, the, like the same amount of people who are canceling me and going after my throat. If we had the same number of people going and defending people who are defending truth, we wouldn't have this crazy cancel culture today. We wouldn't have the cra- crazy leftist cancel mob affecting everything that goes on in culture today and politics. You have to stand up for people and encourage them, whether that's on a comment thread, whether that's on a video, it, not only on social media, but even at church, you know, church meetings, during sermons, things like that, small groups, gatherings, yeah. whatever, publicly affirm that you are there standing with truth, especially if there are people in the forefront getting hit with all the bullets, the yeah. least that you can do is push them from the back and let people know, hey, I'm supporting this person too. Yeah. As we have to do that or else people really won't good. know that you exist. Then they'll just keep trampling over everyone and we won't see any progress. Yeah, it's really good. I, I just want to share a quick story about that. Like, I remember as a pastor one time, I got pulled into an elders meeting, and the elders had this entire list of complaints about me. Mm-hmm. And it was like a page-long list. And I was like, what the heck? And I had to I had to go through and defend myself from all these accusations against me. And what was really lucky was that every year I did an anonymous survey with all the leaders from our ministry. And so I showed them 
our survey results from all the leaders in our ministry, showed them all the positive feedback, all of everything, and, and they went, oh. Because what had happened, there were like three people that were really offended with me, and they went to the elders, and they started giving <laughs> them this whole list. And I'm telling you, stuff like that happens. Like, you know, a lot of times people get frustrated with their pastors. How come my pastor never does this? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it can just take a handful of very poisonous people to get you fired. I mean, for yeah. real. Because people yeah. don't understand. Because, uh, you know, you have very toxic people, and they and they will work to get you out. And then the people who are righteous, they just, they're silent. They're like, well, if, I guess if it's God's will. <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm like, hey, you know, it, no, look, it's all politics. Life is politics. Mm-hmm. And I hate I hate it, right? And yeah. I'm not saying you should become evil in a political way, but you have to understand you have to lend your voice to righteous causes, right? Yeah. And if, you, yeah, if you're exactly. silent, right, well, then just the evil people who speak up are going to have carry more influence. That's how this mm-hmm. thing works, okay? Yep, exactly. So, great, great um, advice there coming in. One last question for you. I'm always curious because I feel like I'm looking, where are the leaders that you feel like these days, like, hey, I feel like these leaders are doing a great job, both in the church, it could be outside of the church, but also I'm really curious, in the Asian Christian community, what leaders are you looking at right now and being like, these guys are doing amazing? Um, Asian, uh, probably Francis Chan. I think Francis Chan is always very solid. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an example of what it looks like to live like completely surrendered and abandoned for Christ. I mean, this guy made millions off his book sales. Yeah, Didn't take a single penny. He gave it all away. What a guy, yeah. uh, Francis Chan. But I know he's not very involved in the Amer- Asian American circle. Um, I'm trying to think, people in SoCal. It's really honestly one person, uh, Pastor SJ from Open Door Community Church. Um, you know, they, that's the church that I went to, and they lost a lot of members, um, unfortunately, uh, this past year. But he is someone who is always very theologically sound. I don't agree with him all like, and he knows this, but I don't agree with him on everything, every sure, single thing yeah. theologically um, because he's very Calvinist. But um, in terms of when it comes to like the very important primary doctrinal matter, like um, matters where it really like in terms of cultural commentary today, Pastor SJ gets it right um, yeah. all the time. Um, and I can't really think of anyone else. Like I have grievances and gripes with almost every single other one. Like I'm going to be honest. And if there's anyone in SoCal, any SoCal pastors who like, um, you know, actually, actually there might be one other one, but I haven't, I haven't really uh, like caught up with him or like listened to what he's been saying these days. So I'm not going to put him on the spot, but mm-hmm. um, th- like everyone else that I know in SoCal has been completely compromised by wokeism. They've been completely compromised. Um, you know, it's, it's always interesting. They always try to find this comp- I, I say this all the time, the pursuit, this like obsessive pursuit of centrism of, right. of, of, of the church, especially the Korean American church and Asian American church. Um, it's going to kill the church. It's going to kill us because they say we're neither progressive or conservative. We're Christian. And it's like, no, you're, if you're not, if you're a Christian, you're conservative. There's nothing, there is nothing about progressivism that lines up with the Bible. They, oh, but it's compassionate. I'm like, what about? Killing babies and indoctrinating children with gender ideology is compassionate. It's not compassionate. They're masking it under compassion, but it's complete unbiblical evil. It's putrid evil. It's not compassionate. That's what the Nazi Germans, that's the Germans do. Hey, this, we're, we love you. We love the German people. Ah, oh, thank you, German. Thank you, Nazi Germany. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And then they just murdered 11 million people. Yeah. I mean, that's not compassion. So spare me yeah. that nonsense. But they say, oh, conservative Christians are too hard-hearted. 
Do you know any conservative Christians? That's the problem. Most SoCal people don't know any conservative Christians because they're in their bubble or conservative Christians don't speak out. And the most compassionate people I've met in my life were conservative. The most unloving, terrible, spiteful people in my life have been radical progressives. That That's just how it is today. So, um, what was, what was I going on? Oh, wait, what was the initial question again? Yeah, I was asking about leaders. Yeah. Okay, leaders, leaders, yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, like, it, it's sad to say, but even most of the leaders that I knew from my college days and everything, like, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe they've mended what they've talked about, but I remember during BLM, they were just, go BLM. And I'm like, most of these people didn't even read what the BLM website. <laughs> They're like, go BLM. Yeah. BLM literally says they're for uh, like dismantling the nuclear family. The nuclear right. family is one of the greatest gifts from God to us. Right. Are you kidding me? So I, I don't know. I, I honestly couldn't really say other than Pastor SJ. <laughs> um, yeah. As of right now, even there's so many um, like Korean American pastors that I gr- grew up respecting too, um, like who are very like vocal and, you know, on the forefronts and have like very popular Facebook pages. Yeah, they're all compromised too. You know, they mourn for criminals. They literally mourn for criminals and then they're silent about children being shot in the face. I'm like, you know, you're you're compromised because this is I, I it might come from a good places of good intentions, but you have to realize like the ideology that you espouse and the ideology that you align with is demonic. It's straight up demonic. So yeah. it's, it's just, I just think it's very funny. Just me, just random Korean guy, 24 year old, just ranting from his bedroom. Um it's like a lot of times it's more theologically sound than these people who have like like master's degrees and divinity and all that stuff. But anyways, um, yeah, I, I think those are like, I mean, Pastor SJ, probably the only person I could say from like Asian American uh, pastor standpoint and like Francis Chan. Uh, but uh, I might be missing a few. So if anyone's listening and if you know me and I'm like missing out on you, I'm sorry. But when I think about other people who aren't really Asian American, if you really want to branch out, Vody Bauckham is great. Mm-hmm. absolutely amazing uh ali beth stuckey's great i you know she's she's really great when i'm confused about politics stuff and like i want to see a biblical perspective on it, i just go to her listen to her podcast mm-hmm. she's really great um uh also owen strachan is really good um i don't know if you know, know owen strachan he, he's really good um so yeah those are a few people that really come to mind um they're really great uh, they're not like super super popular but I know they are very, very biblically sound. And so please, please yeah, do not good. get your theology from the, uh, celebrities like Steph Curry and Jeremy Lin. Like they they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. Um, make sure you're getting it from pastors who are walking with the Lord, walking in discernment, humility, and wisdom. And ultimately just, I think if you just have humility, if you're walking with the Lord, you cannot go wrong. You cannot go wrong because the spirit, spirit will lead you where you need to go. But ultimately, if you have humility, and you question what the world is throwing at your face every day, I guarantee you, you will be able to decipher through all the demonic activity that's going on with the culture today. Yeah, that's good advice. Thank you. Yeah, I I would say the way it works is if you want to be popular, you can't be a very outspoken conservative, at least for the past 10 years, which is why it's hard to think of popular national leaders, right, who are commendable on all this stuff right now. There are lots of smaller church pastors, lots of faithful smaller church pastors. Um, unfortunately, what we do see is that in the Korean community, the way it kind of works is like the older community, they tend to be more conservative, 
right? The mm-hmm. older leaders tend to be more conservative. The younger leaders tend to be more liberal. The problem is the older conservatives, they believe we shouldn't be political, and so they're silent about it. And the younger, more liberal, they're like, oh, yeah, we need to speak out and support BLM. So that's why all these younger believers are now being, you know, going very woke for the most mm-hmm. part. That is the that is the momentum and the trend. Yeah, It's unfortunate, but like I said, I think we're in a spiritual civil war. Um, yeah. Kyman, I think we're going to win it, man. Yeah, 100%, man. I think I we're going to win it. Look at Revelation, man. Revelation is a swirly book. But <laughs> there's one thing we come out of Revelation is that Jesus is, you know, God is still on that throne. He's still on the throne right now. Yeah. And when he comes back in his full majestic glory, yeah. it'll be a good time. It'll oh, yeah. Good. And yeah. look, this we just have a short time to show faith, right? Yeah. And I just feel like, you know, in this the short life that we live, we get this one opportunity to demonstrate that we fear God more than man. And yeah. we want to serve him more than be popular with people. Mm-hmm. And so, Kamen, I just want to close by saying, hey, thank you so much for being a voice in this generation. And I know it's cost you in some ways. Um, but the Lord will reward all of us according to our faith and our obedience. You know, we're all just doing our best. But um, good job so far. Keep it up, man. Thank you. You as well. I was really encouraged when you well, – it was you who started the Righteous Remnant, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I joined the group, and I just saw a lot of uh, conservative Asians and also in SoCal – yeah, you know, speaking up uh, against the craziness that is leftism today. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, man.